everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April, and want to welcome you today to our show. We got a great show for you today. Um, if you like what we're doing, please feel free to subscribe, consider subscribing and uh, commenting. And if you have questions or feedback on the episodes, please put them in the comments and we'll uh, be happy to try to address those in the future. You can follow us on Facebook at Uncommon Comedy. You can follow us on Instagram at Uncommon Comedy Tour and here on YouTube, Uncommon Comedy Podcast. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, today, we have a, a very special guest. He is, uh, performs all over the country. He uh, performs at colleges. He performs at clubs. He performs everywhere. You've seen him in, um, you've seen him in a bunch of different uh, television commercials. You've seen him on Dry Bar. He's got a Dry Bar comedy special, and he's a very, very funny um, comedian. I'm very happy to have him here. So let's welcome Daniel Eaches to the show. Daniel, what's up, man? That's me. What's up? How what's you doing? Going on? Doing well. Doing well. Cheers. Absolutely. So. Um, <clears throat> I remember the first time that I I remember seeing you was I want to say it was Burbank uh, Comedy Festival. Oh, okay. we, we were in this uh, talk about colleges and booking and all that sort of stuff, and uh, a couple people got up and did a few you know a few lines or whatever. And I remember you getting up there and uh, just killing it. And I was like, man, this dude this dude can write and he's funny. You know, like I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because you were so young. I was like, I wasn't expecting you know, to be, have such clever and funny material. And what I really love about your act is um, you're, you're a great writer. Uh, you you make fun of yourself a lot, which I, I always love. And um, you're a super nice guy and just really, um, I, I love working with you. We've worked together many times since then. And I, I'm really glad that uh, you're very down to earth. You're very humble and funny. And I just, I love just watching you get up there and do your, do your work no matter where you, where you are and what you're doing. Oh, don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I like it. The other thing, too, that I oh, like, thanks. honestly, is uh, that you also work clean, too, which is uh, it's very rare. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, second show on a Saturday, you still work clean and you still can win the crowd and, and make people laugh hysterically. And I think that's a real good skill set that uh, a lot of people don't have. Yeah, it's funny. It, it was never like a uh, people ask all the time was like, like a conscious choice, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it really wasn't. It was just, you know, at the end of the day, because comics ask that all the time. They're like, how do I work more clean or how do I, you know, how do I write clean jokes or whatever? And like, I don't know, there's obviously different philosophies. But for me personally, I'm like, just write what you really think is funny. Don't try to like play you don't try to write what you think the crowd's gonna like or whatever and if the natural you will come out and that's just like the natural me it's just like that's what i find funny and i don't know about you but i can always tell when a comic is trying to be clean mm -hmm. and uh, and vice versa you can tell because you see it at open mics all the time when a comic is trying to be dirty and you're just like this isn't natural for you and there's that disconnect you have as an audience member watching them where you're just like just be you just go up there and and say what you think is funny um i don't know yeah yeah it's interesting that the audience can pick up a lot of people don't realize the audience can just pick up on things just without even knowing it you know you they can pick up on fear they can pick up on insecurity nervousness and then like you said if they're they're not being true to who they are Mm -hmm. uh, they, they totally can just see right through that. It's always a, a very interesting aspect uh, about crowds, but yeah, yeah, working clean is always, uh, people always say, how do you, you know, 
Uh, I, I work clean and then they'll, you know, oh, I guess what is your definition of clean? Uh, just out of curiosity. Um, I mean, my personal clean, I've, I've always, I think been, been more, uh, TV clean. I, I like to have a slight edge, uh, to me. I, I mean, I've done like churches and that kind of stuff before, but I, I wouldn't consider myself like a church clean comic. Cause I know I've done shows before where there's like, Whoa, don't talk about kissing a girl. You're not married to or something. Right. You know, <laughs> right. like, oh, okay. Uh, well. I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a, I'm a radical comic then and by those standards. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely levels of clean. There's there's church clean, uh, which is, you know, obviously no cursing, no talking about sex or drugs or or like like you said, uh, you know, living with a, a, a girl when you're not married or, you know, things like yeah. that that um, then you have corporate clean, which I think sometimes is worse than uh, church clean. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you've done some corporate shows too and sometimes well, it's like, a lot of times it's worse because they don't want it that way. It's like the church crowd, they want it that way. Right. Uh, the corporate crowd, 99% of the time, they're like, you have to be the cleanest that uh, we've ever seen a comedian. And, oh, by the way, no one in this room wants you to be that clean. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And then you have, you know, TV clean, which, you know, uh, like you said, have some innuendo or whatever, a little bit of an edge. And yeah, I'll talk about drinking and stuff like that and those are that that kind of makes it harder for me some sometimes because i i don't know probably like you i don't i don't really think too much about that you know when somebody's like oh by the way you got to be clean i'm kind of like yeah 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 like i do that right all the time it doesn't matter um and so when you get in those situations where they're like by the way don't talk about alcohol and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. wait what hold on wait <laughs> i uh and then you're sitting there going like man i don't have to clean up jokes Mm -hmm. very often and this is kind of it's almost like tougher for me because i i'm like oh man now i'm starting to second guess everything that i have is that if, if i can't talk about alcohol can i talk about this thing can i you know i got a punchline that says meth can i say meth like right i'm not telling kids to do meth can i still do this joke that, no, that was a, oh sorry that was a joke on dry bar by the way i wasn't uh sure if i could do and they ended up cutting it it was a, a punchline was meth related and i uh they, they wouldn't allow it that's right i was just about to ask you about dry bar because uh, we both recorded the dry bar yours is out uh mine is not um you should definitely check out his uh, dry bar special which is at drybarcomedy.com slash daniel d-a-n-i-e-l um <clears throat> so you had to you, you did they go over that with you beforehand or you just like um probably uh, it was one of those situations where I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I, I've right. seen your emails. I know, I know what I should and shouldn't do. The biggest surprise for me was that the first week I was there, or sorry, the week I was there was the first week they were going, uh, moving from 45 minute sets to 25 minute sets. Mm -hmm. And so I, luckily for me, I, they asked me cause I record on a Saturday and they're like, Hey, we're doing a, a couple sets on Friday uh we'll fly you out early if you want to come see it and i was like oh yeah i got nothing going on friday like i'd like to see it um you know kind of see how it is and i knew one of the comics on the show so i was like perfect i'll go watch friday when i was there friday kind of behind the scenes watching the other comics go up i uh i heard them tell the comic something about a light at 20 minutes and i was like wow who wants a halfway light like because <laughs> i was thinking it was a 45 minute set i was like who wants a light at 20 minutes? That's uh, right. kind of crazy. 
And so I like, I, you know, it was like bothering me. And then eventually I just asked, I was like, is that normal? You guys do a 20 minute light? And they're like, yeah, yeah, five minutes. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, it's 25. You didn't get the email. And I'm like, no, I didn't get the email. And they're like, yeah, it's 25 minutes. And so I'm like scrambling that mm. night to just like, okay, what am I not doing now? I'm not doing 20 minutes worth of stuff. And, uh, I, I'm at the end of the day, I'm glad uh, it was 25 instead of 40. Not not because it was a bad set, but it, but it was like, oh, I got to save more material um, yep. that way. But uh, uh, yeah, so I, I had a lot of what I would call like, oh, alternate jokes that I was like, well, my second set, if it goes well the first time, I'll try these. And so I, I did that a lot. My first set, I'm pretty sure they used 100% of that in the uh, – in the final version, but I, uh, on the, my second set, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to throw in this meth joke and I'm going to do this thing and we'll, we'll see. And the crowd loved it, but they didn't use any of it. So, yeah. Well, your, your, uh, special was great. I, I watched it oh, and I was just like, it, it came out really good. I think it's a, a great representation of, of who you are as a comic and, uh, you know, standing ovation and that you killed it. Um, I had, uh, one joke that, um, I have a, a joke about Jehovah's witnesses, and um, again, it's not making fun of Jehovah's Witnesses. It was about like trying to, um, you know, do they ever uh, on Halloween sit there and go, we're not going to answer the door for anybody. Just kind of like them getting their revenge. Yeah. And yeah. then, it, you know, if they do, they should, they shouldn't, they should be out because that's the night, one night a year people are out, you know, opening doors, like get out there, go, you know. And so it wasn't, it was a very pro Jehovah's Witness joke, but they were like, well, <clears throat> you could, uh, you can say it, but depending on how the crowd goes, we may have to just cut it from your special. And I was like, well, I have plenty of other material. Like, <laughs> fine. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't think that was edgy by any stretch, you know, but that was like the one, the one joke I was like, okay, that and my, my chocolate joke. And they were like, no, your chocolate joke's fine. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Did so, you, did you end up doing it? For, did you have two shows? I did have two shows. Oh, okay. Um, and I just did the, I basically did the same set and then, um, I forgot a joke in the first set. So I made sure to include that and took out one that didn't hit as well in the first set and, uh, as well as I wanted anyway. And so I just, uh, I wanted to just give myself enough options that, uh, with that. And again, I wanted to kind of save some material for, for yeah. after now, are you planning to like retire? Did you like retire that material? That's going to be on there or no no not at all i mean i uh i have started working more on other stuff but you know it's it's crazy a it, couple comics put in perspective for me they're like look man like i i think i have maybe a million views on the dry bar stuff on the clips and stuff like that and uh that's a lot of people and that's great but at the end of the day it's like a million people out of how many people live in the world six billion <laughs> seven billion it's like practically no one has heard this material you know right. what i mean <laughs> like right. it's like dude you you could basically probably do it your whole life and maybe no one's heard. not until you have like a huge special where you know it's streaming on a, a on netflix or something like that would should you like worry about having to retire material now if you personally want to retire it that's that's a different story i did a stand-up album right before i did my dry bar and i didn't necessarily retire all that stuff um but i started focusing a lot more on on new material so um what was the name just, of your uh, special or your your album uh album's called carry the pillows and uh 
I I guess my personal belief is that until I get maybe a, a two hours or an hour and a half worth of material, then I'll worry about starting to retire stuff because at that point, or, or once I get like a huge special, because then at that point people have seen it and and um, yeah, I mean there's certain things, cruise ships, stuff like that, where they you know they'll tell you we want two separate hours, and I'm like, right. well, I don't even have that, so why would I be retiring? Um, right material that works at this point unless it's outdated or something but right i i always uh you know there's a couple of you know schools of thought there you see a lot of people who who build up you know 40 minutes 45 minutes an hour or whatever and then they just scrap it and go to another one and i started in a, a place where it was like no build an act and just constantly you know improve that act and so you know you have people who've been doing the same act for you know decades um, but it still works and they're, they're constantly evolving and putting in new pieces and taking things out, but it's all still, it's all focused on this one block. And if, if this material is still really killer, they, they keep it in anyway. And then, like you said, if they get a big special or they blow up or whatever, then, then you have to, you know, try to write some new stuff, but it's just a yeah. different way of, of, of looking at it. Um, yeah. so, so let's uh, get into uh, a little bit about you, you, what, what inspired you or who inspired you to start doing stand-up? Um, it's kind of a weird story. <laughs> I guess it, it always is, right? I don't yeah. think it's anything normal. Like, well, I went to school to become a comedian, and then I graduated <laughs> top of my class, and, and I went and did it. But no, I, um, I played uh, jazz guitar in high school and uh, I'll, I'll give you the somewhat shortened version because I could talk for hours uh, about this story but I, I played jazz guitar in high school we were um, division one uh, in in everything in sports and all that because of the size of my high school but in terms of the jazz band even though we were division one no one wanted to be in the jazz band in my high school. So we were, when we would go to these competitions, we would be division one, but we shouldn't have been uh, because how most division one schools work are that um, a bunch of kids try out to be in the marching band. A bunch of them get in the best of those kids try out to be in the big band jazz band, which is like, you know, the, you know, the 40 piece band that you see with three trombones and, you know, four trumpets and all that kind of stuff. And then the best of those kids were in the jazz combos, which is like what you see at uh, CD nightclubs where there's, you know, six, <laughs> six uh, members of the band and it's just drums, guitar, couple horns, that kind of stuff. Um, and those were like the best of the best. And this is what all the division one high schools at least in California and the Central Valley, at least, um, had. We only had a jazz combo, and that was not because they wanted the best of the best. That was because only six people wanted to be in the jazz band, and we <laughs> just happened to have enough instruments that worked, the right instruments, and it was like, okay. So uh, anyway, we none of us knew anything about jazz. None of us played. I was in. I brought in my rock drummer and my rock bass player because I was in a rock band playing guitar, and that was half of our band. <laughs> and uh, one day we were just like, "Hey, let's you know maybe maybe we should try this jazz thing." And we got together and uh, over the summer and learned a few songs and took it back to our teacher who had just been letting us jam really in class. That's all we ever did. 
And we learned the songs and we did the competitions uh, with no money. We didn't have charter buses. We drove everywhere in our teacher's Ford Explorer, which uh, with our instruments strapped to the roof, that's no joke. <laughs> uh, we were the only kids who did not have tuxedos. In fact, we wore uh, bowling shirts and jeans. <laughs> and uh, we went in there and we took first place in literally every single competition we uh, we destroyed. We were wow. awesome. And uh, got a few scholarships that were jazz related and won a few awards for jazz bands. So I, I knew what it was like to perform in front of people. At that same time in high school, I um, this is a really long story that I'll shorten. To, I, I basically did sketch comedy um, every day during our school bulletin and uh, played a character who uh, basically reported on things that weren't the news. It would start out as this is news and then end with like, hey, that was a joke. And uh, and so I was writing sketch comedy at the same time as performing live with jazz band. And for some thing, for some reason, those two things just like perfectly, I think, are the recipe for a stand up comedian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had the live performance and the writing sketch comedy. And it, it, it just made sense. Um that it worked out to do stand up. And one day I was uh, driving with a friend of mine and we were, we were driving home after school and um, I started ranting about traffic signs and she was laughing really hard. And she's like, who, who says this, which comedian? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, where, where, what stand up set did you get this from? And I was like, Oh, I just made it up. She's like, you just made that up right now. And I was like, yeah, she's like, you have to try stand up comedy. And, um, so yeah, I tried it. I did 45 minutes in my friend's backyard because I thought that's what comedy was. And uh, and then I moved to LA not long after that. And I was like, you know what? Let me actually try this thing. And uh, was off to the races. So you basically started in the LA scene. Yeah, I, I did that one show at my friend's. But I it was just like a bucket list that like, I'm going to do 45 minutes of stand-up in my friend's backyard. And then, you know, moved off, went off to college and... Um, uh, that was in like summer of 2008 that I did that show right before college. Then I moved down to college and did that. And around February of 2009, I, I found out about open mics and I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know I could go out there and do stand up comedy. I thought I had to be famous first. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no open mics. That wasn't a thing where I grew up, uh, at least at the time. So I, I had no concept of it. And, um, so when I went, I was like, oh man, I could practice this. I could do, I could get booked at clubs. And, and, uh, and then, yeah, as of uh, February, 2009, I was just like off to the races, uh, probably doing comedy five nights a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you remember your first, uh, show that wasn't in your friend's backyard? <laughs> um, it was at uh, a coffee shop called the coffee Haven in uh, downtown Long Beach, California. And uh, it was an open mic, and I went with a buddy of mine who um, <laughs> I it, I lived in the dorms my first year of college, uh, which was that same year I started comedy. And um, it was like at one of the mornings. It was probably a Friday or a I don't know some some random morning where I had to be up really early for class, and there was only one other person up in the bathroom with me every morning. When I was showering, there was somebody else showering, and we were the only ones. And I never saw this dude, but he would sing in the shower. And I was like, this guy's amazing. This, this is like, this is crazy. Like, yes, I'm half awake and maybe I'm delusional, but this guy's a really good singer. And so it took like months 
and finally, I, uh, I we were I, we finally saw each other outside of the uh, shower, like at the sink, brushing our teeth. I was like, "Hey, are you the guy that's been singing in the shower?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, man." I'm like, "No, you're super good." I was like, "Hey, I heard about this thing called an open mic. Have you ever done an open mic?" And he's like, "No, I've never performed live." And I was like. I pretty much haven't either. I want to do comedy. You should go do music. And he was like, all right. And, uh, and so, yeah, he like told me which dorm room was his and I went and got him. And then we went to this open mic and, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, from there, my first year was a lot of going to mixed music and comedy open mics. Um, because I was going with my music buddy. Now for, for people who may not uh, do comedy, what's, what is it like doing uh, uh, an open mic with all, you know, that's just comedy versus one that's mixed? Did you well, find honest, a difference? Honestly, I think, I think it helped me a lot. And I, I looking back, if I could do it all over again, I would do the exact same thing because with the music crowds, it was more of a quote unquote, would we call a real, real audience, a real crowd because comics, it just, and this is over generalizing, but once you start doing comedy, it, it kind of sucks the, the fun out of it. You stop being a fan for most of it. Mm -hmm. um, and you start just sitting there and unintentionally, most of the time, analyzing what they're doing and, um, I don't know, paying attention to like very minute details that don't matter to the audience. And, uh, and so you, you forget to laugh a lot of the times as a, as a comic. And, uh, and you laugh at the stuff that surprises you and you laugh at the weird stuff or you laugh at comics bombing or you, mm -hmm. you just, you don't give the comic on stage a very good idea of what would work for a normal audience. And so if you get stuck doing comedy comedian only open mics where it's just comics in the crowd, um, you end up with this set that's like tailored for comedians and so when I was performing for a lot of musicians who, who hadn't gone to comedy shows or, or uh, uh, not as often or, or didn't know any comics personally, it was like performing for just a, a regular crowd of people. And um, that like was super beneficial for me because when I finally got into comedy clubs and finally started doing book shows, I was like, oh, yeah, it's just like doing any of the open mics I've been doing. Yeah, because like you said, comedians are generally pretty twisted and, and critical and won't laugh at anything. Um, so was there a comedian that makes you laugh? That you absolutely, oh. They could be famous. They don't have to be famous. Just Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, uh, besides me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely have a lot of <laughs> friends who like it's just enjoyable to, uh, to watch them. And that, that's kind of been my barometer now is – if I can just, if I find myself just sitting back and watching as a fan, I'm like, oh, wow, that was good. Because mm -hmm. I, I forgot for that time period that I was a comedian. Like, I right. just enjoyed myself. And um, there's definitely a lot of comics, like the comics that people haven't heard of and, and stuff like that. But um, uh, I, yeah, I, Dave Chappelle, Dave Attell, Jim Gaffigan, um, a lot of different styles, not necessarily people who are, who are like me or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's the, the list is very long. Yeah. For me, it's Maria Bamford. She mm. makes me laugh out loud because she's just so weird and the characters and just <laughs> so different. And I absolutely love her. So yeah. um, what is the, uh, uh, the best piece of advice you received about comedy? Uh, don't do it. No, uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to that. Um, 
Very early on, I did a comedy contest where I was lucky enough that Christopher Titus's girlfriend at the time, uh, I don't know his relationship status, <laughs> you know, but uh, at the time it was his girlfriend wanted to try stand-up comedy. And so she entered this small-time contest that I happened to be in. And so Christopher Titus was in the crowd and he was nice enough to perform at the very end of the contest. Uh, obviously not in the contest, but um, during the show at the end of it. And uh, and so, yeah, it was like a room full of like six people. This was like the preliminary <laughs> round. Nobody was there. And uh, I just talked to him. for I was naive enough. I was like brand new to comedy. I was probably like six months in. And so I was like, I'm just going to walk up to this guy and ask him a million questions about comedy. And I don't care. And he was super nice. And he gave me a ton of advice. And um, one of the pieces of advice that stuck with me the, the longest wasn't even necessarily about stand-up. He said, uh, do you enjoy stand-up? I said, yeah. And he said, well, then start, start writing, write scripts. He goes, that's the best piece of advice I can give you. Because if you're, if you love stand-up, you're going to get better at it. You're going to keep doing it. You're going to get stronger. You're going to have better sets. And then eventually one day somebody's going to see you and be like, hey, you're really funny. We want to do a pilot with you. Do you have any ideas? And he said 99% of comedians just go, oh, yeah, definitely. And then they go home and they're like, uh, okay, what can I uh, come up with uh, about me? And, I mean, we've seen it a lot on TV. We're like, wow, that person's really funny, but that show sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I would say probably most of the time because it was a half formed idea that they kind of quickly scrambled to come up with. And, uh, Christopher Ty said, I, I had the, he goes, that happened to me. And I had the pilot to, uh, the show Titus, which was on Fox. Uh, I think it was on Fox. Anyway. Yep. Um, he said, I had the, uh, uh, pilot for Titus just sitting in the trunk of my car. And he goes, when somebody asked me that, uh, it was a producer. I was like, yeah, actually, I do have an idea. Actually, can you wait five seconds? I'll go get it. And he goes, I went to my car. I gave them the pilot right then and there. And then a few days later, I get a call, and it was bam. Wow. Uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, he's like, yeah, right, because, you know, you're doing this because you want people to find you funny, and then they're going to want you to do another thing, which is a different skill set, and you have to be ready for that also. Hmm. So. That's really good. I've never yeah, heard that. That's really good advice. Um, how long would you say things took before uh, it started to click for you on stage? Uh, I'm still waiting for that moment. No, uh, <laughs> I would say, I mean, I, when it, things started, click, I mean, uh, you know, this could go a couple different ways. I remember the first, show I ever did or the show in my friend's backyard. I mean, uh, it was a good set looking back. It was probably absolutely terrible, but it got laughs. And I remember, um, you know, the first time I felt like I got a genuine laugh was during that show. And maybe it only happened once the whole show, but it was that feeling that stuck with me of like, Oh wow, I can do this. And so in terms of like, Oh, that clicked, let me get more of those. Let me just, now it's just this chase of like, well, how many of those genuine laughs can I get? And so that that's just like a constant uh, chase, I feel like. But mm -hmm. um, about four years in, I did a, a Comedy Central competition, and I uh, I made it really far. I made it all the way up to the 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 finals right before the uh, 
um, well, TV. I didn't make it past, <laughs> yeah. yeah, before TV. Um, so I made it to the finals of that, and that was, I, I don't know how I made it that far. Uh, it, the competition was insanely tough. Uh, the first round, it was all head improv headliners, people who I opened for, um, who were doing weekends at the improv. And it was 22 of those hand selected by the improv. And they only picked one winner and I won. Um, and then I had to go do that again versus all the, the winners of those rounds at all the right. improvs versus 15 people. And they only picked one and I won that one. Wow. And then me and a few other comics, because LA was such a uh, is such a big uh, pool of comics, they had three of us from LA or something. It was like representing Los Angeles in uh, in this Comedy Central competition. And uh, when I was there, it was like, okay, I can. Yes, I felt like I could do jokes, but now it truly feels like I can do this. Like this could be a job mm -hmm. for me. And that was about four years in. Wow. That I that I true that I felt like okay, I don't feel weird calling myself a comedian. Cuz you know those first couple of years you you kind of and maybe it lasts longer for certain comics I'm I'm sure it does or maybe it's shorter for others but in the beginning you feel weird about even referring to yourself as a comic. Like you'll tell other comics, "Oh yeah, I'm a comic." And you don't right. feel weird. But like when family asks or when a friend asks and you're just like, "Oh, I'm a comedian." You kind of deep down are like I feel weird about saying that. Right. Um, and so the, yeah, that for me, it was that four years in during that comedy central thing where I was like, I don't feel weird about calling myself a comedian anymore. Yeah. It's weird. Cause you get a lot of um, what are called hobby comics, you know, people yeah. that get up once a month or once every other month or, you know, instead of someone who's really taking it to like, I can do magic tricks, right? I can, I can do a couple of magic tricks, but I am not a magician. Right, you know, right. There's, there's, there's a difference, a difference. and a, and a, a skill set and, you know, the, the repetition and being out there and being professional and getting paid to do it and, uh, on a consistent basis and, you know, working on that craft and, uh, or it's like a musician, like I can play, you know, I can play some open chords, but I don't call myself a guitarist, but you have a lot of comics who are like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a comedian. I can do an hour. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you can't. <laughs> I've been doing it three weeks. I got an hour. No, no, you don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, but uh, no, I, that I always find that interesting when when people are you know label themselves that, and then when you finally sit there and you go, okay, I'm making that leap, and I I am a stand up comedian, and it's a cool feeling. And then mm. uh, I don't know if you you got this. I got a lot of uh, family and friends, and they would be like, "You still doing that comedy thing?" Yeah, yeah. You're like, "Yes, I'm still doing the comedy thing," and it's hard because they don't understand all the the in, you know layers and details. Like the difference to a comic of going from a, a showcase spot to uh, a host or as an opener or a feature, like those are monumental steps in your career at that time, you know. But then if you say that to somebody, you go, yeah, I'm now, you know, I'm a feature now, and uh, oh, I'm starting a headline, and people, oh, so you're still doing the comedy, and you're like, it's just yes, I'm still doing the comedy, and yeah, yeah, I, I guess the thing that a lot of non uh, comedians don't realize is that it's yes it's a job but it, it is more than a job and i, I remember uh i i i kind of remember when this happened uh, of one day i just had this sort of like almost revelation and i was like oh it's not like you have to become 
a comedian, like it's a lifestyle. I don't want to sound cheesy, but that that's mm-hmm. really what it is because it, it, that's another thing that happens in those beginning years. When you first start, it's like there's a switch, right? You're like, I'm regular person. Yeah. Uh, okay, going on stage now, switch, I'm comedian man. And uh, and then you go do comedy and then you're done with that and you turn off the switch. And I'm like, okay, I'm a regular person now. And then eventually there just comes a time where you're just like, oh no, this is who I am. Like that person on stage and me there, it's all the same now. Like I have to become a comedian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, I don't know a- another word for it that it doesn't make it sound kind of corny, but it does have to be a, a whole lifestyle. And so, uh, you know, it's not like, um, you know, being like a manager of a store or something like that, where, you're, I, you know, I've never been a manager of a store, but I would imagine that's very like switch, like, like, yeah, I'm a person and I like these things and here are my hobbies. And now I'm going to work, switch on, I'm manager. And then I leave and not the manager anymore. I'm regular, right. you know, I'm a person. Um, and comedy isn't that way. And I, I think, you know, every other job or most other jobs are. So I don't think people make the connection of just like, Oh, there's no switch for it. There's no stopping. There's no like you're still doing that thing. It's just mm-hmm. like that's me now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and then that also goes your whole mindset, like you said, just changes, and it, you act completely, you know, differently. You look at the world differently. You you know see things very differently. And I think once once that starts to happen, I, you can't go back. Yeah, you know, like once you, I, I always talk to people like when they want to learn comedy or find out about it. I go once you go behind the curtain. Like you can't go back, you know, so you gotta, it's it's, just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, and it's funny because it's, you know, if you asked me very early on, you asked me before I started, I, I used to think, and I think a lot of comics uh, uh, in non-comics think that sort of the opposite of what it is. You, you sort of, you start, like I said, when you first start, you're a regular person and then you go on stage and you're like, I gotta be funny. I'm on, I'm blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, and maybe early on you start thinking like, I got to become that person all the time. I got to be that funny Mm. person all the time. But what's funny is it, it's actually the opposite. Eventually you hit a point you're just like, no, I need to be this regular person (laughs) on stage. That's what I'm trying to get to, you know? Yeah. Uh, is, is not to try to be that on funny guy up there is to try to be me right up there. And it's weird. It's weird that it's the opposite like that, but eventually you come to that realization and it's just like, aha, it's just like light bulb moment. Do you get a lot of people that sit there and go, you don't seem funny when they meet you off stage? Oh, definitely. Yeah. hundred yeah. like, percent. Well, you're a comedian. Say something funny. Oh, yeah. that's And if you're listening, please don't say that to comics. <laughs> that's probably the worst thing you can say next to you, There's a bachelorette party in the, in the crowd tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what is your writing process like? Uh, well, uh, I read joke books and then I copy those down and, uh, no, I, I have a very weird OCD sort of, uh, process and I just sort of decided I was going to do it and then just stuck to it. Basically. Um, I told myself for whatever reason, very early on that I should write at least five jokes a day, which later down the line became, I was realizing it took me about 45 minutes to an hour. So it was like, I just got to write 45 minutes to an hour every day, but it's usually about five jokes. And what I mean by that is like five 
laughs. Um, so that could be a very long bit. That could be uh, just, oh, that's a new tag right there. Oh, I rewrote that small joke or whatever. Um, so five laughs essentially a day is what I do. And uh, I've stuck to that. I've done that every day. I probably have tens of thousands of jokes, wow. which goes to show you how bad we all are for most of the time. And <laughs> 95% of those jokes suck. I don't do that. I definitely do not have 10,000 funny jokes in my pocket. Um, I, it's probably less than 5% of that. But um, yeah, what I do is I write, I write those jokes on my computer and then I copy them immediately, right? Right then and there, I write a joke and then I copy it to a notebook. And, um, and I have all the jokes on my computer. It's all categorized by okay. bit and by sometimes by topic. So if it's a joke about being skinny, I have a file called skinny and I click on it and I've got it all highlighted like the green ones I think are funny and I still need to try. And uh, if it's not highlighted, I, I, I highlighted, I've tried it and it works. And if it's yellow, that means it sucks and I'll come back to it later. I never delete a joke um, because I've, when I, when I have writer's block, that's the easiest thing to do to keep me writing. I'll go to those yellow jokes that I don't think are good. And I'll be like, okay, I got nothing to write. Let me rewrite one of these. Um, mm -hmm. See if I can make it funnier. And sometimes I rewrite it and it still sucks, but it's a little <laughs> bit better. And I go, okay, well, I'll come back to it some other time. Um, and the reason I copy it to the notebook immediately is just a memorization thing. Uh, once I do that, once I write it twice, I like thought of it. And then I typed it and then I wrote it in a notebook. It's pretty much ingrained in my head. I, mm. I will, uh, if it's funny, if it's funny, I will pretty much remember it at that point. I'll, I'll maybe have to rehearse it in the shower uh, or on the drive over to a show. And, uh, and I, I'll have it down word for word. But not, I, it's not that I would necessarily recommend that process. It's just it, so much of comedy is just, figuring out how you remember stuff. Right. <laughs> and that's how, what makes it easy for me to remember stuff. So. Hmm. Uh, well, speaking of remembering stuff, uh, it's my favorite question to ask. Everyone knows what's coming. What is the worst show you've ever had? Oh man. Where to start? Where do uh, I know? We all have lists. We're like, yeah, you might as well start part two of the, this might as well be another episode yeah. uh, starting right now. I think we're going to do that. I think we're going to get like a group of comics and we're just going to talk about awful, awful shows we've all had. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, uh, okay. Well, there's one, um, honestly, there's too many. Um, I did one where I was traveling up to, I'm trying to like find ways to not use names and stuff like that in case <laughs> the uh, persons uh, who booked the show is watching. But you did a show. I did a show. <laughs> I was on the way up to Fresno uh, to do a show. Um, and this was a regular, I don't know, Friday, probably Friday, 8 p.m. show, normal time, normal show, all that kind of stuff. It's, this is not about that show. That show was good. But I'm driving up with another comic. And uh, he was going to feature for me. I was headlining. And I get this call about halfway up there uh, from this booker I knew. And he was like, hey, is there any way you could do this show in this? It's, it's a You're not even going to know it if I said it, but I don't want to say it to, to give away 
Sure, but it's a random farm town in the middle of no, probably a population of 2,000 people, 1,000 people in the middle of nowhere on the way to Fresno. And uh, I was like, uh, when? And he's like, in about an hour. And I was like, does it pay? And he said, yeah. And I was like, man, you are like the luckiest guy in the world because I happen to be on the way to Fresno. And that is about an hour away, right on the way. I was like, that's basically a lunch break. From We were going to go get lunch around that area. This is like perfect. Yeah, I can do the show. I was like, but I have another comic with me. And he's like, okay, um, all right, well, I might have to figure out like the pay situation, but like, yeah, that's fine. They could do a set too. And I was like, okay. I was like, what is this show that's happening in the middle of the day? And he's like, it's a uh, car lot grand reopening, which should tell you all that you need to know, really. But I was like, okay never done one of those. Am I just doing a normal set? He's like, yeah, yeah, just do your stuff. And I'm like, okay. All right. He's like, yeah, you're just doing like 15 minutes, um, which could be good or bad. That could be not very much time at all, or that could be way too much time if it's a bad show. And it's going to lead towards that. Uh, <laughs> so we get there and it's this, yeah, this car lot, and there's signs like grand reopening, which I still to this day don't even know what that means. But uh, there's signs everywhere. There's a diesel truck with a flatbed on it um, that's parked in the middle of the, the car lot. And there's like five or six uh, car dealers, like in their like button up shirt. It's probably 110 degrees that day. Um, not exaggerating. Uh, it was the middle of the summer in the Central Valley. It gets very, very hot. We are outdoors. This flatbed diesel truck um, had a mic stand on it. And I'm pulling up and I'm like, oh my God, is that where we're performing <laughs> on the back of this truck? And I see the booker and he's like, hey, hey. Um, I was like, hey, sorry. I was going to say, sorry, I'm cutting it close on time but did you guys start there's like nobody here there's nobody on the stage he's like yeah we're starting right now and i was like oh okay where's it at he's like yeah it's on the truck and i'm like okay all right and i get up there and you're gonna think i'm exaggerating i'm not i i had to hop up on the back of the diesel truck and i i'm performing i'm sweating so hard it's so hot out and the closest people to me are about 70 yards away <laughs> near the, the shade of the actual like dealership had like a little patio in front of it. Um, that's where people are and they're listening. And I'm like, and I see them talking. This is how far away they were. I could see them talking and I could not hear them talking. And so I was like, Hey, you guys, you guys listening? And then I just see a couple like thumbs up and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I guess I'll, I guess I'll uh, go and I'm just doing jokes, looking at an idiot. And it was like, oh my God, one of the worst. And their flies are attacking me. Like I'll never forget the amount of flies that were out there. And uh, um, yeah, me and my buddy both went up and then I was like, oh my God, I got to go now. And so I tell the booker, I'm like, hey man, I got to get to Fresno. Like I got to, I got to go. And he's like, all right, here's your pay. And he hands me in the other comic an envelope. And I'm like, cool, thanks man. And then I hop in the car and then we leave and we open the envelope and I'll never forget this. There was $12 and 50 cents in there. 
One of the weirdest amounts I've ever been paid for a show in my life. <laughs> Two quarters, both. And I was like, why? Why did you give? Why did you not round up? Just give me ten dollars at that point. Right. Um, Twelve dollars and fifty cents is what, I, and I was like, "This is the, this is, the best symbol ever." The amount I got paid for for what that show was, it was <laughs> absolutely terrible. <laughs> I just, I wish you could see how far away these this small group of people were, that, and how just who had this idea to do stand up comedy on the bed. It's just awful. It, and it's so funny how uh, a lot of people don't realize why one being outside is awful. Yeah. Um, and that's because as soon as you say a joke, if they laugh, the, the sound goes directly up and you don't hear it from wherever it is that you are. And so you just sound like, cause we're used to hearing that reaction, that feedback, that's part of our rhythm. Yeah. And when you don't hear that, you start thinking you're doing terrible. And then the person who's in charge of it doesn't hear it and they think you're doing terrible and you are doing terrible, even though people are enjoying them. So you can see them like nodding and smiling and laughing, but there's no, there's no noise. And that just totally messes up your rhythm. And then you're like, why am I here? And it's hot and it's, yeah. So it's always good to have indoor venues if, if possible. Um, yeah. And uh, always good to not have it on the back of a diesel truck. That's, something else yeah uh, i mean I've, uh, I've done it on the back of a flatbed truck too for uh it was for uh some troops in a at uh, this place called fort devons or whatever and it was just outdoors and same thing but yeah that at least when it's the troops you're like all right you know we, we do with what we got you know like we're good but yeah but a car dealership is uh <laughs> awful grand um, reopening yeah grand reopening I don't know what it is about car dealerships and comedy. I broke down once in Texas. Um, I don't think I've told the story to anybody. And uh, I had to, uh, like, the middle of nowhere, Texas. Um, yeah. And so they were fixing my car. And it's like 9 in the morning. And my license plate said stand-up uh, back at the time because, you know, I was cool. And uh, so they're like, you do stand-up comedy? And then, like, okay. I'm like, yeah, I do. So I'm waiting in the, the lobby, and then all of a sudden I hear over the loudspeaker, can I have all staff to the lobby, please? All staff to the lobby. I'm like, oh, all right. It's going to be like a staff meeting or something. And they're like, hey, everybody, we got a comedian here. Oh, man. And they're like, oh, no. he's going to come up and tell us some jokes. And I'm like, yeah, knock a couple hundred bucks off my bill. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, we never, we never realized that we should say no. You know, like right. we we should never we don't go. Oh, this is a bad idea. I'm not doing this. We're well, because like, you know they assume you suck. If you say no, right? They're like, oh, he's not good. Or right, she's not good. That's why they said no. So I went up and did like ten minutes to their staff meeting, basically, and it was just awful. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, uh, what is the? Uh, let's get back to to you. What is one of the biggest mistakes you see uh, new comics make? Oh, that's another episode. That's, uh, <laughs> I would say, um, and, and I have to tiptoe, uh, a, a very fine line here because I, I don't, don't, uh, if you're a new comic, don't take this all very literally, there's a million exceptions. Um, but I've always treated it, it, it. Comedy has always been a very personal 
thing for me. So when I first started, and yeah, a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that I was doing music open mics and there weren't many comics around, but it was like, it was work. It was my job. Like I loved doing it. It was, it was so much fun, but it was like, I'm working on my set. I'm thinking about my jokes. What am I going to make better? And how am I going to, this is all about me and the crowd. That's our relationship. And, um, and yes, I make friends with uh, comedians and stuff, of course, but it's like, it's a job, you know, like I I'm there for, for me and to make the audience laugh. Uh, right. I'm not there to make friends. And I, I see it all the time of like, I, so many comics, I, I feel like I, I'm like, you're just there to make your other comedian friends laugh and you're just there to make friends. And this is a hangout thing. This is a hobby. This is a, this is a backyard barbecue for you. This isn't uh you know, you're never going to get better with this. You're too concerned with the friends that you're going to make. And, and that's, it, it's tough. I don't want to say like, don't make friends. Cause that's not true. I have a bunch of friends in comp. Most of my right. friends are comedians, right? But, um, it don't be, don't concern yourself with like, cause I know a lot of comics, this is a stereotype, but you get a lot of comics who are like, ah, oh, I never fit in anywhere in life. And now I'm going to do stand up comedy. And now I feel like I fit in. And so it's easy to be like, this is just my, fr this is just about making friends who are comics and fitting in, in a group. And it's like, yeah, that's like a cool bonus, but it's a bonus. That's not why right. you're here. Um, like f focus on what you're there to do and don't, don't concern yourself with making friends. Let, let it happen naturally, but don't forget your, that, that you're there for a, a reason. Right. That's so important. You know, have a goal, have a reason. Like you said, it's, it's a job. It's yeah. It's your work. Um, so you've been um, lucky enough, uh, and I don't want to say lucky to diminish what you've done, but you've been uh, you've worked your way up enough to to get uh, representation and management. How mm. did that come about for you? Uh, well, I got lucky. Um, <laughs> I it, it is a lot of luck because uh, I met um, I met my manager at a festival. Uh, and then uh, I had a good set and it was not, it's not like the movies where it's like, ah, you had an amazing set. Here's a contract, sign it. We're, we're in, you're in the books, baby. Like, right. Not like that at all. It was like, here's my card. I really like you. You're really funny. Let's keep in contact. And it was like, I don't I don't know what that means. I don't know. So um, maybe a, a well, it was probably a day later that I, that I emailed her and I was like, hey, great to meet you and, and all that. And uh, she was like, yeah, it was great to meet you too. You're really funny. Let me know when you have anything big coming up or any big shows. Uh, I would love to come out and, and see you again. So I, what I didn't realize that it, it became this sort of kind of a chess match in the way of like, you know, how are you going to help me? How am I going to help you? And like, uh, you know, don't seem too desperate to get management because, you know, everybody just wants with that relationship, it's all about success and money. It's you both want the same things. They want you to make money. So they make money and, and they right. want you to be successful so that they're successful. And it's, it's a good relationship really to, to have because you're just like, we both benefit from me getting what I want. So, um, this is great. But uh, they want to know that you're, you know, that you can be successful and uh, that they can make money off of you, which uh, is fine by me. That's uh, kind of the goal of it. So um, of that part of it. And um, so, yeah, it became this like, well, you know, I'm doing this and I, I could feel her sort of losing interest when I didn't have anything very cool um, to offer. 
And then I got in the Comedy Central thing. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait. because, And this was a bad idea looking back. But I was like, if I don't win or I don't do very well, she's going to be completely disinterested. Because mm-hmm. I could already feel her losing interest. So then I won one round. And I was like, I'm going to wait even more. Because I don't want to get her hopes up. And long story short, I waited till I was in the finals. And then I emailed her and I'm like, hey, by the way, I'm going up to do this Comedy Central thing. I made it to the finals in San Francisco. And she was like, what? Why didn't you tell me any of that? Like, call me right now. And then I call her and I explain everything. And she's like, you're meeting with Comedy Central people? Like, do you have any representation? Do you have, do you know what you're doing? Do you know who you're, and I was like, no, I need to do that. And she's like, yes. <laughs> like, oh my God. So then we talked a bunch and I ended up signing a contract um, before I went there, which was probably, uh, to be honest, maybe her scared that I was going to meet uh, other representation up there. But um, at the end of the day, I really liked what she was about. I really liked her work ethic. I We had the same goals for each other and that is super important um, because it's not just about finding a manager who's going to make you money and make you successful. It's you also have to have the same goals for yourself and they have to believe in you. And, and it's very possible that, you know, if you're a comic out there listening to this, who wants management, that the first manager you meet is not going to be good for you. You know, mm-hmm. not that they're not a good manager, but maybe they want your path to go a certain way. Um, and so I, I would say like, it, you know, it's not just, do you think they're a good manager in terms of, do you think they have context? Do you think they're good for you? Do you think they represent what you want out of it? And I, I was lucky enough. She was probably the third manager I'd ever met. And, um, and yeah, I've been with her probably six, seven years now, six years, something like that. Um, so I don't even know if we're on a contract at this point. We're just, <laughs> we're just with each other for it. It's like, yeah, no, I send you money. You send me, you know, we, you work for me. I work for you. And uh, that's that. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of luck of being at the right place, at the right time. Festivals help out a lot. A lot of managers go to those. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and finding a manager who has your same goals in mind, because that's mm-hmm. super important. Yeah, that's definitely a really important piece is to to make sure that everything's envisioned because if you want to go one way and they want you to go the other, it's that's cool to say you have a manager, but ultimately it's not going to work well. Right, and a lot of comics just want, they're like, oh, I just want to be able, I want to say that I have a manager. It makes right. me sound better. And that's why you get so many differing opinions. I mean, I've, I've heard just as many comics say you don't need a manager as the ones who say they do need a manager. And I would add in an asterisk that it's like, well, you need a manager that's good for you. That's why the comics who don't have managers and are still successful are successful because they're like, yeah, they never found the right manager. Um, and they're bet they are better off by themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas the comics who enjoy having a manager found the right manager and, and feel like they're better off with the management. So you're always going to get differing opinions because it, it just depends on who, who you end up with, I guess. Yeah. Now, um, as part of that, I know um, you do your your younger comics, so you do a lot of uh, college, or you've done a lot of colleges. I'm not sure if you're still doing them, uh, especially with everything shut down or whatever. But what is the primary difference? Would you say of doing clubs versus colleges for? for- well, I mean the 
age demographic uh, is big. Uh, you know, I'd say you probably average maybe 35 years old, maybe 40 years old is the average demographic for a comedy club. Uh, probably around 35, something like that would be the, the average. Um, whereas, yeah, a college show, the average is like 19. Right. Uh, and it's a lot of times it's a lot of first year students because once they get old enough, they're like, Oh, I can buy alcohol now. I'm going to go party or something right, or I, right. I'm more focused on other stuff. Uh, that first year is when you're all about campus activities. So it's a lot of eight, 17 and 18 year olds. And I get this a lot and you probably do too. Being clean is once you say you work clean, like, Oh, you can do anything. Um, and a good example of this is that uh, I got asked to do a show at an elementary school, <laughs> which looking back is like a giant insult. The guy was like, oh, I saw you. You're hilarious. I saw you at the, I think it was the Irvine Improv. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. And he's like, you ever done a school? That's all he said. And I was like, yeah, I've done schools before, thinking colleges. And he's like, great. I'm a teacher at, a, at an elementary school and I run the... Uh, I don't know, some sort of faculty thingy there. And uh, we're looking for entertainment and we'd love you to perform comedy for our kindergartners. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're, you work clean. I was like, yeah, I work clean, but a clean joke about uh, your job or dating is not <laughs> relevant to kindergartners who aren't going to have any clue what you're talking about. And so it's a reference thing. And, and that even, you know, trickles, well, I guess up, it wouldn't be trickled down, but uh, that even goes to like, it speaks to like college kids. There's a, there's sometimes gaps in, in uh, relevance and what, what they care about. Right. Uh, you know, they, they uh, stereotypically speaking, don't have as much life experience as you do. And, don't care about the same things you do and uh, don't uh, I don't know, just not that they're not going to find it funny or not going to get the joke, but they're just like, eh, not my cup of tea, or, not my comedian, yeah. you know, not my, uh, I don't really, I mean, uh, you know, and this is just a personal preference, but when I hear jokes, when I hear comedians do jokes about having kids it's a little bit of a turnoff for me because I don't have kids. So I don't, right. I don't really, not to sound blunt, but I don't really care uh, a lot of the time. Like this isn't uh, relevant for me. Um, not that I don't find the jokes funny or, or, you know, don't think the comics are funny or anything like that. But I, you know, as an audience, I, as a fan, I want to hear jokes that I can relate with. Uh, right. And, and college crowds are the same way. If there's, you know, not that they don't think you're funny or you don't have good jokes. They're just like, eh, if it's not relatable to me, I don't really care as much. Well, uh, and have you found, uh, I've I found too, that it's like you're saying with the, the corporate stuff, um, the, the colleges say, you know, don't be dirty. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then you get there and the kids are like, this is what we want to hear. Mm. Uh, or it's the other way, which is like, you can't, say you can't talk about being fat it's like you know it's it's either right. those tend to be the two extremes like they they want to hear about partying and and sex and all this sort of crazy stuff which you can't do or they they want it to be like you know super it's super politically correct and you know very um open to everybody and so it's like i can't 
I, I can't talk about being fat. Like, but I'm, I'm fat. Like that's, you know, like that's part of my story. That's part of, you know, people can relate to that, but I've, I'm just assuming you, you've come across that as well. Oh, definitely. And, and also there's this aspect too of like colleges for whatever reason, it's probably cause their budget, uh, have access to some really mm -hmm. talented people and sometimes some famous people. And, uh, and so when you come in, it's sort of like, who's this person? I don't, right. I don't know who this is. I don't, I, there's a, there's 25 different activities happening today. Why would I go watch this person? My professor used to be on a TV show or my professor wrote the, the book that I'm reading right now. Like, who cares about this comedian in a beanie talking about being skinny or whatever? Like, right. you know what I mean? You get a lot of that too in college where there's like, it's almost overstimulation. You just got all these things happening and it's just like trying to win over their attention is, is very hard too. Mm -hmm. And, and people think that they're these great gigs in front of these huge theaters and they don't realize that you're sometimes in a cafeteria in yeah. front of <laughs> seven people. Well, because that, and I mean, it kind of speaks to what I was just saying. It's like, I think colleges realize too, they're like, well, um, all of the main stages are being taken up. So uh, where can we shove comedy in their face to where they have to listen? Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. the food court. That'll yep. be it. <laughs> and it ends yeah. up in a terrible show because of it. But they're like, we don't know where else to put you. They're all, you know, all the stages are taken up. Yep, that's so true. Uh, so we're talking with Daniel Leachis. Uh Daniel, uh, if you want to follow him, you can follow him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Dan Eachus, E-A-C-H-U-S, uh, youtube.com slash Dan Eachus. Uh, you can also check out his Dry Bar Comedy special, which is very hilarious, uh, drybarcomedy.com slash Daniel. And where can they find your CD? Uh, they can find my CD uh, through... Um well, the easiest way is probably to go to uh, danielechis.com and uh, click on the album. It says album on there. Click on the tab that says album. Or you can go to danielechis.com slash album. And, uh, and there's a link there. You click on it, and it shows you every way that you can listen to the album or buy Perfect. it. So uh, before we, we wrap up, uh, we always like to talk a little bit about uh, charity and foundations and, and organizations. And you have one that's uh, – very interesting. We had a little email exchange because I was very surprised by this one. Uh, it's it's a, a very important one, and we'll we'll discuss in a second. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the organization that uh, you uh, chose to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the one that I'm uh, highlighting is the uh, Facial Pain Association, and uh, yeah, I wish their website URL was a little better. I'm like, you guys could have picked something better than something that has a hyphen in it. But um, they are. Uh, um, they uh, support uh, research um, for a few different things, but uh, the one that I, I know the most about uh, and, and probably the, uh, unfortunately, the most popular one, um, there would be the, uh, for trigeminal uh, neuralgia, which uh, short, uh, or TN for short. And um, yeah, that's uh, probably something that, yeah, that's, it was, it's always a surprise when anybody knows what it is. Cause mm -hmm. you're just like, how did you know? I barely know what it is. How do you know what it is? Um, it's, you know, relatively uh, pretty rare um, to get, which sucks because it's such a terrible thing to have, but because it's so rare, most people are kind of like, eh, I don't need to, 
know about it. Unfortunately, right. I don't know anyone who has it. I don't know. I probably am never going to get it. And, uh, yeah, I'll focus on some other things and it, it sucks because it is such a terrible, um, uh, condition to, to end up with. But, uh, so what is, what is trigeminal neuralgia for those who don't know, which is probably uh, 99% of the people. Yeah. I mean, God, it's so hard to explain too, which is another reason why so many people, uh, I think don't know what it is. Cause I, I have trouble explaining it. <laughs> I can explain uh, it if you'd like, cause I yeah, actually well, have I, trigeminal neuralgia. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I know that's why it made me nervous. I was like, Oh God, now I got to say it right. But oh, um, no, no, not at all. what I know from what, um, there's still a lot that scientists are trying to understand about it. Uh, it's, it's kind of, um, not very uh, well known, even with the, within the science community. But from what they can gather right now, it's basically that um, I always tell people, if you imagine a, a, any sort of wire, even like, you know, this thingy, uh, this, the headphone jack, there's a rubber coating around this um, because if this coating wasn't here and you touched it, you'd get electrocuted. And basically you have nerves in your face and well throughout your body, but you have a bunch of nerves in your face. And uh, for whatever reason, I know that there's theories, but at the end of the day, nobody knows why um, some people will get part of this coating will basically get rubbed off or come off and the wire is exposed. And when that nerve, the raw nerve, the electrical part touches another nerve in the face, it sends this electric shock essentially throughout the person's face uh, that is supposed to be one of the most, if not the most painful thing you could ever feel in your life. And um, because it's a nerve issue and nerves are very sensitive, uh, that means if the wind touches your face at a certain angle, which nor for a normal person who doesn't have, um, who has, you know, all the, uh, the, the rubber coating, um, all that would mean is that the wind touches your face and it tells your nerve to tell your brain, there's a wind sensation touching my face. But when that happens to somebody who doesn't have that, uh, coating on there, it, hits it and instead of the nerve sending it to your brain telling you the wind touch it hits that other nerve and then it sends an electric shock in your face um i don't have the elevator pitch down uh <laughs> ryan that that was that's okay like no but that's that's it. actually that's a really good description uh of it i tell people um long story short it's like a lightning storm going off in your face mm. uh, and there are various lengths that it can happen um and there's uh, different, you know, there's medicines that, that can try to help. One of them is gabapentin, which, uh, so like when I get it, nothing's going on the rest of the day. It, it's extremely painful. If you ever had nerve pain, um, you'll know and just imagine it being in your face. And I got it. It wasn't part of the facial paralysis. And when I got sick with Ramsey Hunt, but it was a, a nice added side effect, which is why I always say uh. I always get the collector's edition because in addition to that, that's when it started in. And it literally, it just, I mean, it just shoots right through your face. And some people have it constantly. I'm very lucky that I get it in spurts, but some people get it um, uh, very uh, consistently. And for, uh, they end up calling it, uh, the nickname for it, you know, the nickname is the yeah. the suicide disease. Uh, because it's so painful that people will uh, take their own life rather than live with it. And it's it's just a, a horrible um, affliction. And there's really, again, not a lot of people know much about it. And it's it's so rare that people are just kind of like, hmm. 
And uh, I think there's there's some great research places, and we're talking about the Facial Pain Association, which is www.fpa-support.org. You can check them out there. Uh, they're also on Facebook at Facial Pain Association and on Twitter at Facial Pain uh, Asoc, A-S-S-O-C, uh, short for association. Um, and so there are people that are just trying to they don't even want to raise awareness because they're putting all their money into like, let's get a cure. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get the, let's treat this condition. So uh, how did you, yeah, what, how did you get involved? I'm sorry. No, no, that's, uh, you were saying, how did I get involved? Yeah. How did you get involved with that? So I, uh, uh, my ex-girlfriend, we're still like super close friends. Um, but she got it when we were together and she, did not know what it was. She kept trying to explain to me what was happening in her face. And it was very, I mean, it was extremely confusing for her, but just as confusing for me, it was like, and so I started doing a bunch of research because she had almost kind of given up. She had gone to the doctors and it's so rare uh, that, uh, that the doctors didn't know what was going on. They all told her it was like, oh, different things and prescribing her stuff that looking back, it was like, that, yeah, that, of course that did nothing. That has right. nothing to do with what you had. Um, and I just, I didn't even know how I stumbled upon it. And the more she told me, I started asking her questions. I was like, I think you have this thing. And then she started looking it up. She was like, oh my God, you found it. Like, this is it. And um, it was just, I mean, really a, it, just a insane, uh, uh, terrible experience. Cause she would have these, attacks um not only did she, there's there's something also called a atypical uh trigeminal neuralgia really catchy names they really uh, <laughs> yes flow right off the tongue <laughs> yeah they uh yeah she had atn also in addition oh, wow. to to regular and atypical is, is like sort of a light a constant light uh feeling um that happens in your face whereas the regular tn is those like powerful you know, lightning bolt attack type things. She got both. So she would always have this constant small pain and then she would get these attacks that were really bad. So it's even more rare to have both of them. Wow. Uh, it's, it's rare to have atypical uh, to begin with, let alone to have both of them. And then on top of that, it happens, generally speaking, it happens to people in their like 60s and, and, and older. And so I think that's probably, unfortunately, another reason why so many people, not to put it so bluntly, but like don't really care about raising awareness for the issue because um, they're like, eh, right. eh, for old people, you know, right. like I don't deal with it, whatever. They lived a life. Right. And it's like, not only is that super messed up, but that's also just is not true. There's hundreds, probably thousands and thousands of cases that uh, of people who yeah, I know. I unfortunately, I read a, uh, um, I read this whole book about it basically, and uh, yeah, just stories of little kids getting it, and it doesn't go away. Yeah. I mean, you can try, you can try to fix it, and yeah, there's some surgeries that like have worked, but they're not. The success rate is like very low for for how a surgery should should be in terms of a success rate, and uh, yeah, and it just it's sort of like one. I kind of just vowed to like, okay, I'm never you know gonna stop pushing for the not not just yeah finding a cure is always important for for any condition or any disease but like there are other little things that i think are are 
more doable in my lifetime that I'm like, we should be pushing for this too. And, and one of the big things was that when her attacks would happen, they would happen sometimes for weeks. I mean, it was really bad. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, she couldn't work. She couldn't do it. Like you said, she couldn't do anything. Yeah. Couldn't work. Couldn't do anything. And um, it made it really hard for like her job just like didn't understand. There's no way to measure that you have it. Right. Which is, that's the thing I'm like, man, we got to push for that first. You know, obviously you need to push for a cure, but like you know, push for a way to measure that you have it because she can't get a, she couldn't get any sort of disability mm. for it because you couldn't prove that you had it. Right. Um, and it's like, man, we should try that. That, that became sort of my like, main push is that like man i we we need to like yeah find find a way to get disability for these people who have it and aren't allowed and can't work during that time or or just a way to even measure that you have it um because that that's uh you know something that's that's hurting people too not just the physical pain but the you know it's hurting their whole lifestyle and not being able to work and not being able to do things and um not being able to tell people they have it or know they have it or tell their doctors that they even have it or, or whatever. So there's a yeah. lot of work to be done. Well, anything that I can do to help with that, I'm, I'm in, uh, it's obviously it's something that's, it's very close to me. Uh, so yeah, I, I put um, together a, a, a comedy show. Uh, you know, I said I wanted to do it every year and it would have been around the summertime. So I obviously things have been on hold, but, um, yeah, benefit show, um, for comics. They have one in Chicago that I've tried yes. to get on and, uh, it just hasn't worked out, but, uh, yeah, like, that's hey. usually in May. Yeah. So I've, I've been like, Hey, do you guys do anything on the West coast? And they're like, Nope. And I'm like, why is no one doing anything? So I'm trying to kind of get that going. Do the West okay, coast. I, I know, um, the gentleman who, who kind of heads up that group where they do that. So maybe we can all kind of collaborate and, and bring, uh, the facial pain association in and, um, Sweet. Yeah, they're very supportive. They gave me a bunch of materials to to hand out of shows, and you know, obviously, we donate all, uh, donated all the money to them. So uh, they're really uh, uh, grateful for that. Um, they even asked me to come do comedy at their at the San Diego. They had their big national convention there last year, and I uh, unfortunately couldn't make it because it was the same day as my sister's wedding. But uh, um, but yeah, I know they're very like. It was going to be in a car parking lot on a on a flatbed yeah. with a diesel truck. Exactly. In a dealership. Yeah. Well, definitely check out uh, Facial Pain Association. Once again, that's www.fpa-support.org. Uh, check them out on Twitter at Facial Pain uh, Associ- uh, A-S-S-O-C, and Facebook Facial Pain Association. And again, anything I can do, man, uh, let me know. Uh, also want to thank everyone for, for tuning in. I want to thank Daniel Eaches for, for coming by today. And again, check him out. He's got Drive Bar Comedy Special, drybarcomedy.com slash Daniel. You can follow him on YouTube at Dan Eachus, uh, E-A-C-H-U-S, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, same thing, at Dan Eachus. And dude, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, looking forward to working with you again soon.